time to take control of your money, your health, your time, and your life. I'm Jeff Neighbors. I'm Rachel Neighbors. Welcome to Self-Directed Life. Welcome, everyone. Today, we have Dutch Mendenhall with us. He left the baseball world to pursue his business career after being a coach at the University of San Francisco, a top Division I team. And uh, he started out as an executive recruiter in a billion-dollar company that specialized in commercial real estate and banking. He excelled in less than 12 months, became the number one producer in the company. And today, they run a real estate education company. He uh, mentors thousands of students across the country to invest in real estate. Dutch's specialty is tax sales. He runs three investment funds that have amassed over $7 million in properties and $3 million in profit over the past 12 months. In this episode, we talk about tax auction investing, particularly in this new economic paradigm. We also get into resiliency and emergency preparedness, which is something that I think everyone's thinking about more now than before 2020. So if you like alternative investments, real estate investing, and the idea of having your own plan B or plan C for emergency scenarios and keeping yourself and your family safe, then you're going to love today's episode. From time to time, we'll bring on a guest to the show who has investment opportunities that we think are interesting. Please do your own research and diligence as this is not an endorsement of any investment or opportunity, including those that any podcast guests may offer. In full disclosure, today's guest is also a sponsor of our ongoing webinar series. That being said, I think you'll find today's episode very interesting and timely, and we're excited to present it to you. Thanks so much for being with us, and welcome, Dutch. Hey, Jeff and Rachel, what's happening? Hey, glad you're here. Um, so uh, how did you get into tax auction investing? And you've got your site, uh, Tax Auction Investors, and your business there. How did you get into that? Man, Jeff gets right down to it, doesn't he, Rachel? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, you know, tax auction investors is actually fascinating. You know, in 2008, after the crash, we started looking for an investment vehicle that, like, no matter what happened economically, you could thrive. And it's, so it's, it's about looking at a business model that, that succeeded when things got tough or things got bad. Because for me, the first thing that I realized is that times are always going to get bad. Times are always going to get good. And that's the cycle of business. It's the economic cycle. And so I always knew that real estate investing was a wealth path, a financial path. And I remember the first night I ever like had built some income and money. I was staying up late. First time I ever got my big check in my life. Right. And this is before real estate. And I stayed up late and I saw Robert Kiyosaki infomercial like two, three, four in the morning on PBS. And I'm like, oh man, that sounds pretty exciting, right? I mean, I think anybody, the first time they hear Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? They, they, they get excited about it. Now, fast forward 15 years later and, and, and you know, the portfolio and things that, that we have in real estate is exciting. So how I got into tax auctions and tax liens and deeds was I heard a video that of somebody online and they said, hey, this makes more money during bad economic times than good economic times. And it makes good money during good economic times. And when they started talking about guaranteed returns, right? I always, that's like a little flag goes up for me. Like, oh, is that a scam? The moment somebody says guaranteed returns, I start thinking that, right? But still kind of fascinating because they said government backed guaranteed returns, right? And so I started studying Texas was the first place. And it was a 25% if somebody redeems a property after they sold it a tax auction. And it was just started looking at Texas constitutional law, like got a little nerdy, right? And I started doing research and started reading like the legislation on tax laws and tax deeds. And if there's a tax foreclosure and those kind of things. And I started doing my own research and, and really just got kind of nitty gritty into what the rules were, what the laws were, what made sense. And there was different thought leaders out there. And I think you can rely on them, right, to, to, to open the door for you, but you've got to step through it. Because if you don't step through it, it doesn't mean anything. It's just, it's just information. And so that's, you know, what got important to me. And so I went to my first tax auction in Texas in 2000, 2012. Now, there's auctions you can go to around the country that are a little less insane. But the Houston auction in Houston is nine auctions going on in one room at the exact same time. And to mm -hmm. try and do that by yourself, the first time I ever did it, and I had, you know, like 15 properties to, to bid on that I had, you know, gone and done the homework on and done the due diligence and done the research and done the title work and all of the complicated things that go along, you know, with, with tax auctions. And, but then they're like in six different 
they call them precincts. So they're in six different auctions within the same ballroom and, and trying to figure out which one was going to go. It was just, it was just chaos, but also, you know, going to a tax auctions, any auction, right. That you've ever been to, it's an adrenaline rush. So it's, it's just, ah, it's exciting. It's like playing a game, right? right? You get into the baseball game or football game. There's, there's just an adrenaline rush in that in that moment. Okay. So before we, just get to basics on what is uh, tax auction investing. Let's kind of back up and I want to re- respond to something you said earlier about, you know, you, you like investment strategies that work even better when times are bad. Um, you know, we're here in the midst of this uh, financial crisis that is, uh, you know, on the brink of turning into a recession or potentially a depression. A lot of investors trying to figure out how do you translate, you know, the tens of millions of unemployed into, you know, real estate investing. How, how's real estate investing going to go if a lot of people are out of a job and, and rents and mortgages aren't getting paid as well? Um, so I think just big picture first, Dutch, what's your view on the outlook for real estate here as we're recording this in October, 2020? So my mind went like this in like 50 different directions, right? Because I, I run on all these different planes in my, inside my head all the time while you're asking the question. So the first thing, where real estate's going to go in the next 12, 24, 36 months is, is just a fascinating subject to me, right? It's like that geeky part of me. But I like like for me, the first thing you have to pay attention to is Fed rates, right? So Fed rates are zero zero percent And the Fed released guidelines that they're not going to worry about uh, inflation. They're going to focus on full employment. And, and like, to me, that was like rockets going off, like literally fireworks going off. Cause like, that's exciting for me in real estate because the, for the average person buying a home that keeps their payments low, the lower the payments, the more the price of the properties can go up. Then you have the government flooding all this money into the economy and whoever's elected, I'm not going to get political. It, whoever's elected is going to flood more money into the economy. They're going to get elected and they're going to want to spike the economy, right? Because if they don't, it's going to be pitch, pitchforks and, and, and whatever else you want to describe, they're going to, they're going to come for them. Yeah. And so the bottom line is they're going to flood the money with the economy. Now, the next thing is the banks are smarter now than they were in 2008. I'm not saying they're geniuses by any means, but they're smarter than they were. And so what they're going to do is they're going to do what's called a shadow inventory of bank-owned properties. And so they're going to slowly roll out their foreclosures. They're going to slowly roll out and they know what their timeframes are. And so there's specific timeframes that they have where they can roll these out and still foreclose. Um, in most of the country, it's four years. It's a, it's actually a federal, federal contract law. Sometimes it's six years. And so they're going to roll them out as slow as possible in order to hold the value of assets. The reason they want to hold the value of assets is because if there's a massive price drop, banks have to sell properties that they're foreclosing on. They're never going to get their money. And so they're going to roll them out as slow as possible. They also think we're going to see a, a constitutional amendment if there's a Republican elected, right? That That is going to allow banks to not have to adjust their asset management, right? So, so many of their assets have to be performing. So many of their assets um, can be non-performing. And I think you'll see an adjustment with that. If a Democrat's elected, I think you're going to see the same exact type of help. It just won't be a, 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 a presidential executive order. I said constitutional, an executive order. It'll be just done in a different way that the same thing's going to be done. And so what you're going to see is this slow increase in values that we've had this year. And I shouldn't even say slow. This year, it's been incredibly fast. Values have climbed and climbed and climbed this year until there's a point in time where the foreclosures actually hit the market. And we're going to be 2022 before they even start touching the market. People don't understand it takes three months, six months, 12 months, two years to foreclose on a property. So that's what's interesting. At the same time, in the tax auction business, what's fascinating is the counties, as soon as they're allowed to, we'll start their foreclosure process. And so you asked earlier, what's, what's a tax auction? What it is, is when somebody doesn't pay their taxes, a government issues a tax lien against the property. When the government forecloses on it, then there's, then there's a tax auction at that point, that point in time. Okay. And an investor can then come in and buy that property. Well, so let's look at this from the standpoint of I'm a real estate investor. I've been educating myself online and I'm familiar with the concept of going out and buying, you know, a duplex or single family residence and renting it out and generating cash flow. I'm familiar with the concept of flipping, of, of buying maybe rehab, maybe refi, 
so there's some of these um, elements of real estate investing where I'm actually buying a property with or without my own mortgage financing. Um, how would you introduce someone who's only been thinking in terms of uh, buying and owning properties to the concept of being a tax lien investor and how does it compare to being just a, a normal basic property investor? I think it's a great question. You know, one of the things that we are a buy and hold company, right? I think wealth is built through the stacking of assets. If you don't continue to stack your assets and grow your assets, wealth's not built. Um, the whole industry of infomercials and whatever else with the real estate thing, I, I, the whole HDTV thing, which is a reality, right? There's, there's real real estate that's done and then there's the make-believe. And so real real estate that's done is, is built on stacking assets. If you flip a property, there's a massive amount of taxes. They tell you you can do it in three months. The average flip for a normal person is going to take over a year. When it comes down to permitting and it comes down to all the different things, that's if something doesn't go wrong. And so if you go in with the philosophy of a long-term plan in the beginning, it's, it's going to be just so, so much better. Did I even answer your question or did I just go on a tangent right there? Well, I think what you just established is that you really like the long-term thinking and the accumulation of wealth, uh, which that really jives with my philosophy. When I hear about flipping, that's not investing. That's a, a line of business, right? And it, you know, it, it, as a line of business, so, so here's just kind of like how I view that is as a line of business, I need to understand it's going to take some time to operate the business on either my part or somebody else that I'm going to have to cut in on it or pay a salary to. So now all of a sudden, we're not talking about only an investment of money. We're also talking about an investment of time. But now we're also talking about risk uh, where, you know, if I've got a property that's just, you know, I, I get rents and it's just money going into the into the bank account. We used to call it mailbox money. Now it's, I guess you call it direct deposit money, which is even better. Uh, you know, contrast that to if I'm flipping, you know, now if I get left holding the bag on a property where I didn't do my due diligence thoroughly enough, uh, then now I might lose money instead of make money. And it, it might take more time and more money than initially uh, projected. And I might, instead of making money from a certain amount of time, I might lose money and take more time. So that, that flipping business is a business. Um, I really like uh, investing passively in accumulating assets or stacking assets, as you've said. Uh, now, walk us through, if you would, the mechanics of um, if I want to invest in uh, you know, a tax auction, like you, you remember that old video, like how a bill becomes a law. How does a tax lien become an investment? So there's two, there's two forms. One, there's a tax lien and there's a tax deed. And so we'll talk about the tax lien, tax lien first. So tax lien is when the government goes and issues a lien for somebody who doesn't pay their property taxes, right? And if they don't pay their other taxes, there's other types of liens and different things. So we're specifically talking about property taxes. And so after a certain period of time when they haven't paid their property taxes, there's a judgment, right? Just like any other time in the world where someone owns owes a bill or they owe money, there's a judgment and that judgment is for taxes. So now there's a lien that's established against their property. Now there's a couple different scenarios once a lien is established against the property. One is they can pay back the lien, right? And that would always be my preferred thing is that they go ahead and pay back the lien and they're able to keep the asset or property. The challenge is, is most of the time, People lose their houses to, to mortgage foreclosure for a variety of reasons, divorce, loss of job, um, lots, lots of different reasons. But when it comes to taxes, it's a little bit different. It usually, it involves an addiction. Um, it involves mental illness. Um, it involves a, uh, where somebody's passed away and there's a uh, not proper handling of the airship, right? Or somebody's passed away and the relatives have no interest. In the property at all, which is obviously my favorite. If nobody's interested in it, then I feel you know pretty good about buying it at that point, you know. And so then at that point in time, if they pay you back on the lien, there's a penalty and in interest. State and every county across America actually has their own rules and their own laws to this. And so I can't tell you state nationwide, it's a 20% return, right? Texas, it's 25%, right? Philadelphia, it's 10%. Every county across the country is a little bit different. And so sometimes the government will say three years before you're allowed to foreclose on it. And so there'll be a tax lien for year one, year two, year three. Then at the end of that, they're still not paying their taxes three, four years later. Then the government says, go ahead 
you're allowed to foreclose. So now what you do is then you hire a company and it's a complicated process from there, but you can hire a company that will handle the foreclosure for you. And now you own the asset or own the property. For me, I'm always love the government backed guaranteed returns when it comes to tax liens, because I nothing better than getting your money cycled over. So it's part of my whole wealth philosophy is, is cycle your money and, and turn turn over your money and have your money producing money. It's the old richest man in Babylon book that I'm sure you've, you guys know it well. So definitely. So I want to pick out something there that should have caught many people's ears, which is that uh, we're talking 10, 15, 20% returns in some states. So we've got 50 different states. They all have their own uh, rules around this. But ultimately, if somebody's going, what's my return on investment? Um, with these tax liens, when done properly, they can be north of 10%. That's correct. And and they can be, I mean, they can be north of 20% done correctly. Like Texas is crazy. After one year and one day, it turns to 50%, which is to me, complete insanity, but they don't want people, you know, not paying their taxes. Right. Um, and that's why they have no state income taxes in, in that state because and they, high property taxes. you know, high property taxes. And um, the roads and so are real good mm-hmm. off of the property taxes. Yeah. So for me, the, the whole point behind the getting the return is the cycle of money, right? And so for me, if I can set up a situation with the individual that had the lien against them, I can set them up on a payment plan, I can set them up on some type of process, but the faster I can cycle the money, the more my money works for me. So let's say I'm perfectly fine with it being an 8% return, right? Because what happens a lot of times people chase that 50% return and it never actually happens, right? I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. that's the whole home run, you know, real estate or even investment philosophy, right? So lots of times the the normal deal actually turns into the great return. And it's, you know, the places where maybe there's the 25% in Texas, but if I can get them to go ahead and redeem quickly, and then that only took three or four months, now my returns are off the charts because maybe I can do that a second time in one year and turn that right. second cycle. I've always, with my money, I try to see, can I cycle it once? Can I cycle it twice? Can I cycle it three times, which is very rare? in a year to get to get my returns. Now, if you're a stock yeah. market person, you're like, I cycle my money nine times a day. You also lose money. <laughs> well, yeah, that but day. sometimes your snowball shrinks instead of grows. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think, you know, a good point on that is if, if you're, whether you're cycling your money one time or two times or even three times in a year uh, is an important part of the equation uh, rather than just looking at that headline return, because if that return happens uh, in only three months, then your annualized return, if you can get it working again after cycling it, you know, it, you can have a lower uh, return per deal, but a higher annualized oh, return. Okay. So I, I, I see there's a lot of different ways to kind of, uh, kind of work this business. Um, so... It sounds like education and, you know, uh, doing your research to get to the point where you can have the competence and confidence to actually do these deals is absolutely paramount uh, as, uh, as you've got 50 different sets of pros and cons and, and how you approach it. Um, so what are some good ways? You know, obviously, we're not going to just sit around here and rattle off a bunch of facts. Uh, we don't have, we don't want to do a six-hour podcast. What are some good ways that people can educate themselves to uh, you know, maybe get the rubber to meet the road and start doing these kinds of deals? Well, maybe just now is a good time where like, I have a gift to give everybody who's, who's on the podcast. There's a link um, and, and there's a, a text code and different things that you guys can use. It's in the description for the podcast. You know, I believe in a fundamental philosophy of giving education, giving knowledge base away so that if you want to go and do this, you can go and succeed and have the best knowledge possible to go and do that. And then, then someday, you know, if you decide you want to invest with us or you want to invest side by side with us, you can do that as well, right? And what I've come from is this, I just have an abundance philosophy. I know there's a lot of people out there with scarcity philosophy. I, I don't care if people know the blueprint, like to its absolute core DNA of my business, they're never going to be able to do what me and my team and my people do. But I want to encourage them if they want to go and do these things themselves, they absolutely 
can. And so those links are there for you. Um, there's all kinds of cool things. There's a home study course. There's a how to do deals before auctions. There's contracts and paperwork, all kinds of cool stuff in there. Just as my gift to all of you, um, that's something that, you know, Jeff and Rachel, you know, was very important to them is that like, look, they, I, I've learned from the solo 401k. I've learned from them. My wife has learned from them. And so when they engaged me to talk to me about tax liens and deeds, they were like, how can we give our people the same level of education, the same level of knowledge and, and not make them feel like it's a, it's an, an infomercial, right? Well, I, for us, you know, we're an investment company. It's our, our core philosophy is, is investment stacking, building, building wealth. So this is stuff that, that my team um, graciously put together when we heard we were going to do this. And, and for those of you that are on, so just, you know, use those links and, and those kind of things. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll drop that link in the uh, uh, episode notes. Uh, so if you're listening to the podcast on any of the platforms or if you're watching on YouTube, just look in the description for that link. It's also uh, solo401k.com forward slash TAI for tax auction investors and free gift from Dutch. Um, awesome. And just uh, to kind of make sure that kind of we, I understand wh- some of the different ways that, uh, that you guys do things. You guys uh, will partner with people. You also have a REIT that you operate, a real estate investment trust. So people can just really invest with you uh, completely passively by writing a check, but then also people can learn from you using this free gift that you're giving where they can just go out and do the same kinds of things that you're doing, uh, but they can do it themselves. So they can kind of go anywhere on that from do it yourself to totally passive, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a middle ground too where our, our people will do it hand in hand with them, right? Step step by step with them, right? Where they put in 50% of the money for a deal and we actually put in 50% of the money and we even take it a step further where if there's any financing involved, we actually handle that ourselves so that they don't have to try and go get a loan or, or, or those kind of things. And so it's, um, for us, it goes back to that core philosophy, right? Um, when I started doing education on tax auctions, tax liens, tax deeds. We would do these trips. We'd go into cities and we would um, start, you know, Friday night and we'd meet and greet and kind of lay out a plan. Then Saturday and Sunday from morning to night, we would drive properties. And then Monday we'd analyze all the deals. Tuesday we'd go to the auction and we'd, we'd buy and that'd be the conclusion, right? And then, but for years, I would hardly see anybody buy. And I was like, oh, like they would love the education. They'd tell me, Dutch, that's so awesome. That's so, but they wouldn't buy. And so when we started our investing side by side, we started our, our REIT and our investment funds was because they kept coming to us and saying, Dutch, we just, to do it on our own is scary. And over the years, we've had a lot of people do it on their own too, but, but majority was just that fear. You know, what if the contractor steals my money? What if the property has a sinkhole that I didn't see when, when I went and viewed it? What if, what if, what if, right? And I, you know, would always share with them, well, if it has a sinkhole and that wasn't disclosed, you can probably get the auction overturned. But, and, and I would teach them through the, through the process or walk them through the process. But when they started investing with us, we just saw the success rate, even with people who wanted to go and do it on their own. Lots of times they would do it with us and then they would go and do it on their own or they would do it with us and then do it on their own at the same time. And so we saw the success rate go up, which was the most important thing to me because when I first started learning about education, right? The Robert Kiyosaki thing we shared before. I, so much misinformation. I'm not talking about from rich dad, poor dad, but I mean, with just the different gurus that were out there pitching this, pitching that, and I bought all of it. I bought everything you could possibly imagine. Basically, all the money I had saved at 25 years old, um, I spent on education at that point because I realized that I had to expand my ability to earn, right? Expand my ability to make it because no matter how hard I could work, I could never get to the level I wanted to. And that was, that was really irritating because I'd always had the philosophy, if I outwork you, I can out-succeed you. It was just born into me from the time I was a kid, but I started realizing that every time I would try to apply that philosophy to wealth, I would just run into a brick wall. And it, it, it's, it's frustrating because the average person wants to be paid for their work. They want to be rewarded for the work that they do. Mm-hmm. And I believe they deserve to be rewarded for the work they do. But if they don't have the, the, the right path or the right knowledge or the right bank. And like in school, you know, they don't teach you about credit. They don't teach you about cycling your money. They don't even teach you what compound interest is. Right. I mean, I think compound interest should be like first grade. Like that's totally my, my yeah. belief. Right. You know, even if it's gummy, gummy bears and, and, and like if they get more gummy bears by, by 
by, I don't know, whatever. You guys get it, right? Yeah, Or with totally. kids today, it's slime. So I have a three and four-year-old. So today it's slime. The kids oh, are slime made a comeback. Into the yeah. slime. Oh, it's, yeah. it's like a whole like planet. I, I tell you, like it's a slime world. And it's fascinating. <laughs> they have these kits and my kids have slime, like these different. It, it, anyways, so get, getting off on a tangent. But the reality is for me, the investor has to have it a way to be able to succeed. And, and if it's purely by work, they're going to fail. And, and that's, that's not the way society or the world maybe should be, but it is the way the world is. I tell my kids this and they don't completely get it at three and four years old, of course. But I say, you know, like if you can start with the fact that when they start talking to me how things aren't fair, as I said, if you start with the fact that life is not fair, but you've got to figure out how to navigate it, then, then, and obviously I have two little negotiators in my house all the time because, because I come with that philosophy, right? They negotiate everything in the sun, but I, Every time they tell me like so-and-so did this or this happened or that, I'm like, life's not fair. So let's figure out what we're going to do. Let's figure out how to, to get this solution. This episode is sponsored by Solo401k.com. Solo401k is a special retirement plan for entrepreneurs. Your Solo401k can unlock your retirement funds to invest directly in alternative investments, such as real estate, precious metals, Bitcoin, private equities, private debt, startups, and more. You can combine alternative investments with tax-deferred or tax-free growth. You get the tax benefits of a normal IRA or 401k, but with access to alternative investments. Plus, your tax-deductible contributions can be up to $60,000 per year. You can even be your own bank and borrow up to $50,000 tax-free to start or grow a business, pay off debt, buy equipment, gear, or toys, or for any reason. All this using Solo401k.com. To learn more about reducing your taxes, investing in alternatives, and being your own bank to finance your dreams, visit Solo401k.com today. That's a really good, I think, transition point because right now we are looking out in the world and there's a lot of people that have noticed that life isn't fair. And I think, you know, there's a noble cause that a lot of people want it to become more fair, but the way that some people are approaching it is resulting in this, you know, social unrest. And I think that, you know, our society is more... Uh, volatile and fragile and you know I'm just going to go out and say it like we we are closer to the brink of a societal breakdown than uh, we've ever been in our lifetimes and this is concerning for a lot of people uh, you know all the way from your your everyday blue collar worker up to CEOs of of banks and financial institutions, everybody's talking about having a plan B. Like, how can I have a place to, you know, like bug out to if, uh, if things really get ugly? Um, and this topic doesn't get a lot of airtime on, like, say, TV, but it gets a lot of research time uh, from millions of people out there. And you know, we've all been on like Zillow and, and looking at different areas and looking at a little map and like, man, if the power grid went out in my area, where would I go? And, and all of that sort of thing. This is actually something that a lot of smart people seem to really care about. And I know this is something that you've been working on for a while and you have a new project uh, that, uh, that we can discuss. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how how you think about this, this concept of a plan B or, or a backup plan and what you're doing about it. Oh, you know, I knew like you're taking me down that survival topic. Right. And like, for me, I'm excited about our survival talk, but I sit here and here, you talk about it and like, just like a seriousness of like emotion comes over me because we're in a time unlike anything we've ever seen and we and that may ever be seen in the history of, of mankind and it's it's so many different things that like i don't even want to watch the news i don't even want to look at the next shooting or the next protest you know i it's it's but you can't not look right you can't not be aware of what's going on 
Um, I didn't want to hear about coronavirus every single day, but I found myself so often checking the statistics, checking the numbers, because I'm a math guy, right? I love love the math behind things to understand, because I think math tells you the truth a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And and but this, and then my wife came to me. She said, "Dutch, we need a plan B." I said, my wife's never been afraid of anything in her life. Never a day in her life. I remember us doing auction trips in the inner city, like the worst, the worst of inner city. And she just gets right out of the car and goes and starts talking to people and socializing and connecting and, and building relationships, you know, and, and working on deals. And, and, and I, when my wife came to me and said, we need to plan B, it was like this whole epiphany came over me. Like if she needs a plan B, there's how many Americans need a plan B? And, and, I know there's so many other people that have been in the survival mode far longer than I have from a, from a, a mindset standpoint. I've, 12 months ago, I never owned a firearm as, as an adult. Grew up in Iowa, so firearms were around life. But as an adult, I never owned a firearm. Now I own my firearms that I won't talk about on a public, on a public setting. You know, mm-hmm. um, Now I, I, I have this understanding of the, there's a cold war between China and Russia and America. And you might even throw India in that in different ways. That is something unlike we've ever seen for, for the superpowers. And there's more superpowers than that before the superpowers in the world all have very different philosophies. If you don't think the leaders of China, Russia, and Korea have ever gotten together and said, how do we overthrow capitalism? How do we overthrow the American government? How do we overthrow these things and created a 30 or 40 year plan? You're insane. Cause I guarantee they have, cause I guarantee we did right. We might've been the middle East or other places, but I guarantee we have. And so, you know, they have too. And then I start looking at, you know, how weak our power grid is, the electrical grid in the United States and how just five days, a week, two weeks of the power grid going down, how debilitating that is to everything we did. Our supply chain could go down. Like, and I never even saw coronavirus coming. You know, in October, I saw an economic crash coming. You watch our YouTube videos, different things you'll see. In February, I told people Corona was worse than, than we could even imagine how it was going to hit us economically. And because I thought there were other factors that were kind of cause the economy to go down combined with coronavirus. And then April, I told people there was going to be riots and protests. And, and like I was seeing these signs and, and, and I would go into um, deprivation tanks, float tanks, which is where kind of where I meditate and get, get to, you know, root answers and I pray about things too. And, and I kept coming back to it's getting worse. And, and usually the, when I do those kind of things, it's, it's the philosophy of calmness that shows me how things are getting better, what the right steps are, what the right actions are to get better. And, and, and I started looking at it. And then one of my inner circle members and our investors are a little bit more of a collective mind, right? There's the people that are passive and, and just invest money, but we actually have gatherings and, and get togethers with all of our investors. And he said, he said, Dutch, what could we do to make a thousand percent return? I said, well, Alan, that really doesn't exist in real estate. That's not a real estate concept or philosophy, but what if it was, right? And all of these started, things started to come together. And then we started building this survival project and we started creating a survival club and we bought a farm and the farm has, you know, miles of riverfront and it has acres of, of corn and, and wild turkeys and deer and, and just, just all this amazing stuff it has cows and, and shelter and, and all of these different things. And, and we started building this and then we started giving people that if like, the shit really hits the fan. They have a place they could bug out to. They could come to. And it's not the $600,000 or mil, I mean, 600000 or million dollar shelter, right? It was something that everyday people could afford. And, and because that's always been my philosophy. How do I help people? How do I help, how do I help the super uber rich and famous? And, and I know there's, you know, a path for those people too, right? But that's for us, it's how do I help the people? And, and the philosophy behind it was allowed us to turn a, a a million million dollar farm, right? And to a $20 million project. And and that makes the returns go completely off the charts. You can do the math yourself. And and so now it's become, you know, even though it's a small part of our portfolio, it's become kind of the cornerstone of what's going on during this world right now. It's the equilibrium balance. It's if things get worse, this continues to make more and more and more money, right? And and if and if if things don't get worse, it'll continue to make money because people still want it. And if, if, if things get better, our normal core business continues to make the great money that it does. And so it's this thrive goes back to that same core philosophy from the thrive during the worst of worst of times, which has kind of become a part of my foundational, I guess, DNA as an investor. Um, And, but then it's become more as like, then just as an investor, it's become who you are, right? You start to like, once you go down this path, it becomes a part of who you are and just because though I believe in 
survival. I also believe that, that, that money makes the world go round. And, and so if I can take survival and have it, everybody who invests in that project with us make money, but also have a bug out. Now it's like this, this synergistic connection that comes together in a pretty magical way. Yeah, I think that kind of thinking, you know, we, we need more of it. We need to inspire more of it and other people too. Uh, this year is a year that no matter what your beliefs were before this year, it's become painstakingly obvious that uh, relying on others, uh, in particular government bodies, to, uh, to manage risks for you is not a real strategy. You know, I think uh, a lot of people disagree on whether or not masks work or whatnot, but I think the, the, probably the more important lesson around masks here in 2020 is that the government wants everybody to wear a mask, but before they wanted everybody to wear a mask, they lied and said that masks don't work because they didn't stockpile enough to provide the masks. So they know that, that everybody re- relied and, and needed, uh, they banked on the government having the supplies that are needed for emergency situation and the government didn't have those supplies that are needed. So uh, if they didn't do it with masks, I don't think that you can expect them to have done it with anything else. And it, it's the alternative we, motives, you know, it's, it's like what's behind what they're trying to create. You know, I'll talk about what my alternative motives are because behind everything we do, there's, there's a drive and a motivation. There's cause and effect in everything in the world. But when you have billion dollar or multi-billion dollar companies that are putting money in to politicians in order to get them to take action, how can you trust it? Because it's not they're not coming to the action because of who they are, because of their morality, because of their, their, their core beliefs as a person. They're coming because the person that paid them a ton of money, they're just doing what they're tell, tell, tell them to do. Right. Um, you look at like um, anti-vaccination world. And I'm not going to go deep in, deep into that, but like Fox news, because it's a Republican platform should be anti-vaccination, just American rights ability to do those kind of things. But because 70% of the advertising that goes into the news channels is from pharmaceuticals, their money. And so if you're trying to trust the people that are supposed to steer our world and, and it's only about that, then it's really hard, hard to have that belief in that full belief in, in the system. And I believe America is going to get through this and we're going to get past this, but am I a hundred percent on that? I just can't be, it can't be with what's going on in, in, in the world right now because I, I never saw being forced to stay at my home. I never saw my kids yeah. not being able to go to school. I never saw, you know, I saw seeing a lady pepper spray a guy because he wasn't wearing a mask sitting at a dog park, you know, like that, that kind of insanity. And we're not even talking about the bigger threats. We're not talking about AI and where AI has gone to. I mean, like the old Terminator movies, they're, they're actually real, you know, like, like, like Elon Musk is maybe one of the, the smartest men combined with wealth in the entire universe in the entire planet. And he believes core and testified to Congress to this, to stay away from AI because they believe that in the next three to five years, AI will surpass human beings as the, the premium, as the ultimate intelligence on planet Earth. And that they're already, that governments and, and, and companies are already using AI as, as weapons and tools. You know, if you don't know that, I mean, like, like there's already companies out there selling access to AIs. You know, and what I'm talking about is artificial intelligence, everybody, in case I'm using terms. Because I, no, no, I've never even heard of it. You know, sometimes you talk about this kind of thing and it falls on deaf ears. I think that, uh, you know, our audience is very likely to just be nodding their heads. Now, Dutch, what what information can you share about this survival project? Can you tell us a little bit about like what state it's in or just kind of what is what is the idea? What's the, the proposition for somebody who like like we know we have a lot of uh, clients and friends who are still searching for that plan B of where, where would I go if I needed to, you know, leave my home area for safety and, you know, you have a a proposed solution, um, share with it what you can. Well, I think the solution goes even, even deeper. It's not even just a plan B. I think you almost maybe even need a plan C because what if you're separated from your plan B? What if you can't get to your plan B? 
right? So our philosophy is 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 this project is in is in Idaho, right? And it's you know the weather is is temperate enough, you know, for survival, um, and and the natural resources are, are right there for us. And we're building an army from a safety standpoint, because if you start studying, you know, pandemic types of things, the migrations from cities, even that's even biblical, you know, what, what becomes becomes dangerous, you know, in, in, in different times. And so for us, our plan is to have uh, continue to add more of these survival units right around America, around the country, so that no matter where you are, you could be on vacation with a family. Let's say you live in California and your bug out unit is in New Mexico, right? Well, what happens if you're in New York City on business or you're in New York City on travel in the middle of that, right? And so we have a property 100 miles outside of New York, right, that, that, that we have an offer on right now, right? But then, you know, our core is built from, from our property in Idaho. Um, that's what we call our Exit B project. Um, and that's something, you know, somebody could, can invest in. And, and, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pitch an investment on a podcast, right? But the reality is it's something someone can do. And, and down the path, you know, we're going to do a webinar together where we share more for people. But what, what's more important is that you have to protect your family and you have to have a plan for your family. Um, I was listening to a, a religious leader the other day and he was saying, like, look, if, if it gets to a point in time where everybody has to wear hazmat suits, you know, Surrender, let them take me first, right? He said. And I said, Well, that's just weak, right? And 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 I know I'm being hardcore and I'm being judgmental, but I said that's just weak. And you're you're telling me that with your your children or your grandchildren, right? That you're not going to do everything in your power to protect them and keep them safe till 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 it's their right time, right? And and I do I do have faith. I do know where I'm going when when I die someday. I know exactly where I'm going. But it doesn't mean that I might not live another 20 years after something bad happens. You know, bad doesn't mean end of world. Bad means the world changes forever. And I think that's the reality. I mean, we haven't even talked about climate change. I mean, that's another one of the things that are coming down with this magical storm that is this, uh, it's dark, man. It's dark. And if you don't think there's forces competing, right, against each other, you're not paying attention to what's going on. Yeah, what's that quote? Uh, Mike Tyson says uh, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, mm-hmm. right? So, with this, you know, the punch in the face would be like the grid going down, sure. or this has been a punch in the face this year with the pandemic. Uh, you know, any interruption to systems, we saw just a, a some of that, but obviously that that can happen in other ways too. Um, and you know, what we realized is after that punch in the face. You know, everybody's plan was to just, you know, sip lattes at the Starbucks and, you know, go, uh, you know, rent that office space from that executive suite and take the kids to soccer practice and is all plan A stuff. And, and we all would love to go cradle to grave, never having to go past plan A, just, just things go the way that you want them to. But, here's but there are I things that we don't control. So we need that plan B. We need that plan C for when we do get punched in the face. And if you don't have uh, a place to go that you've already been to, if you don't have a cache of supplies stored there, if you don't have a community of people, you know, maybe with alternative communication mechanisms like satellite communicators, if you haven't thought about things from this tactical perspective, uh, then, you know, you're... If, if you get the next kind of punch in your face from all these kind of risks that we can all um, recognize, then, uh, then your, your plan doesn't translate past that. So this, I think this is all about having a plan for after the punch in the face. But where I screwed up, Jeff, was, you know, we got hit in the face and then I bought my second freezer and my third freezer, right? We got punched in the face and then I Went How much did you have to pay for those? Because we went to go buy freezers and they were like, they're four months delayed. Uh, we eventually figured out a way to get one, but just something as simple as, I'm glad you brought that up. Something as simple as I need a freezer so that I can have six months worth of food on my property. Um, I, I need a generator so that the freezer can run if the electricity turns off. Okay, Lowe's, Home Depot, what do you have in the way of generators and freezers? Uh, nothing. If you order today, you can get something in four months. That was a big shock to, to these just-in-time supply chains. And uh, 
Well, wait, you said something really important there too, Jeff, with this just-in-time supply chain. And this is something that in the major cities, I think a lot of people haven't had to deal with. You know, we have, what do they say, like three to seven days worth of food in a major city because everything else is being trucked in. And if something like these just-in-time supply chains were disrupted, there are so many people that don't have a store of food. They don't have a plan B. They don't know what to do. They've never really been, or they maybe hadn't before the pandemic had to even confront this situation. And I think, you know, back in February, March, in the beginning, um, people were confronted with that reality for the first time, seeing empty shelves at the grocery store, having these delays and being able to get supplies, delays that still are continuing on certain products right now, seven months later. So I think that I hope that some people have really awoken to the need to start to prepare themselves. Well, look, I think there's two types of people out there responding to, to what you're talking about as it happened this year. There are people that, that go, oh my gosh, uh, you know, the institutions are doing a terrible job of preparing us for emergency situations. Let's make the institutions better. Sure. And then there are, are other people who say, look, knock yourself out trying to make the institutions better, but I'm not going to be, I'm not willing to Personal watch my family starve to death or, or, or something as a result of just shifting that responsibility for their safety and well-being onto somebody else, you know, especially some faceless bureaucracy. If you think some faceless bureaucracy is going to save your family in an emergency, then, I mean, it just kind of goes back to that Thomas Jefferson quote, uh, if you're willing to sacrifice liberty for safety, you deserve neither and you'll get neither, something like that. Um, and it, you know, now is just a time for us to accept that parts of our system are corrupted, both from just people doing bad things, but also just from uh, exponential innovation in, in technology and in the, in the way that society is growing. And uh, no matter how you look at it, there's a certain fragility to our society today that didn't exist when I was growing up in the eighties. And, um, you know, I, I grew up in Texas, so it's, it's just, it's in, in my upbringing that when, when there's a problem, you figure out how to solve it. If you need help, you look around for people to cooperate with. You don't wait to be told what to do. And I mean, this is why we call this the self-directed life podcast, right? Everybody here is or is aspiring to live the self-directed life. And you don't self-direct yourself to the line for food stamps or handouts or whatever else. Uh, you know, nothing against anybody who utilizes those programs, but you build in, you know, if, if, if you have survival in the bag right now, then you take some of your resources and you use them to build in survival if we all get punched in the face again. And I think it's just absolutely essential. So, um, you know, some people have the means to just go out and, and you know, buy a thousand acres for themselves and their family and they're doing it. Uh, and that's great. More power to them. Um, and then I, I, I think though, Dutch, that there's a lot of people who still want to live that self-directed life in this way of taking personal responsibility for survival in an emergency scenario. And they need some sort of cooperative um, organization where everybody is consensually, you know, agreeing to cooperate in, uh, in the way that they're doing it. Uh, and it's not, you know, just part of some government program where there's no competition, right? So, I mean, I think this idea of saying, look, we've got these resources, we've got this land, why don't you pitch in, in a way, and then you can get access to it. I think it's very simple, but I think it's right on the money in terms of uh, something there's a lot of demand for out there. Wow. I mean, you guys have spent so many hours, right? Diving into this this topic or the subject, and, and, and we have to, you know, and, and we're also, we're people of meats, right? We're not, you know, I'm not going to starve if, if, you know, the shit does hit the fan. Um, but I am going to start heading for my plan B, you know, but if you think the politicians that are out there, let's say as an example, nuclear, nuclear warfare, right? Um, the fact that we haven't had a nuclear warfare in, in our world in the last, you know, 50 years since, since, you know, uh, what happened in Japan, you know, happened, then, then we're just lucky. 
you know, and, and yeah, people say, you know, that's part of God's guiding hand. I, I, I agree with that too. But at some point in time, there are things that are even worse than nuclear bombs, right? That governments have created. It's a thing that Corona wasn't created. I, I won't believe that. You know, I'm not even a conspiracy theory. I just believe it was a test. I don't even believe it was the full on, you know, worst possible biological, right? That, that they, they could come at us with. I think it was just their test to see how we react, how we handled it, what we did. And it turned out to be even worse than they thought it would be with their test. And, and so, you know, for me, I also created this because everything I do, I look at self-liquidating, you know, how does something pay for itself? How does something, you know, make itself, you know, a financial sense. And so when we created the project as an investment for people, right, because of the, the, the income and the cash flow that it produces um, as a property, but by yourself, you go buy a thousand acres by yourself. And it goes back to this philosophy is that when the migration happens from the cities, if the shit really hits the fan, you'll never be able to take defend your thousand acres it'll just be taken from you and that's that's a scary philosophy because that's not even like born into me like i wasn't born and raised as a survivalist it became but i realized it's a necessity it's it's it, it became a need and, and and a no choice need for me yeah uh, I, there is no alternative tina t-i-n-a yeah. right it's a tina situation and i know um we don't you, you want to get into like you know, like pitching the whole deal right now, but we just want to make sure people know that it exists and they can learn more about it. But um, I know a little bit about it from our conversation the other day. And uh, we're not talking about like a house payment to have access to this. We're talking about a cheap car payment, pretty much. Uh, and uh, and so people can have the opportunity. So, so you're opening like a, this thing like up. Like a car for your 16-year-old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like a entry-level Honda Civic basically, um, where, uh, so, so very accessible. So, so people can essentially, uh, have a a monthly payment that gets them access to this plan B property. Um, you're also doing different things with, with options and packages of being able to store things there, have a certain amount of food per family, that sort of thing. And, um, like a time capsule, we thought, Right. You know, for people with your family, with your legacy, with your future, with your history, your ancestry, to have a time capsule there, you know, I think would be very valuable to each individual to be able to store that, you know, on, on, on the property. I think it's critical because it's our history, right? Like no matter what happens, we're going to want to know our children, our children's children to know our history, right? And for me, yeah. I wouldn't even like if it really hit the fan and I could get my kids there, Right that's more important than getting myself or my wife there. Yeah. I want to get there. Yeah. I want my wife to get there, but to to have my children there and for them to know, here's what I believe. And here's my beliefs as a person. And here's, here's, I think you treat, you know, your fellow man, your fellow woman. Right. I think here's the philosophies that, 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 that's just, that stuff becomes critical to me. That's a really good idea too, because, um, you know, our normalcy bias is that like we just kind of store all of our data on the cloud and we don't really know what the cloud is. Like a lot of people don't really realize that when you press enter to do a Google search, on the back end of that, there's actually an, as much energy being expended to to light a light bulb for like minutes. Uh, and a lot of people don't really realize that, you know, for example, like Google has, you know, just one of their data centers is this massive place in Oregon and it is still unknown. Uh, it's not. It's not conclusively known um, the source of the of the uh, coronavirus of COVID nineteen, and whether it uh, is a bioweapon or a naturally occurring event. Uh, that's a topic of its own. Um, but obviously, there are forces that oppose each other in this world, and they attack each other in various ways. And, you know, if we had some data centers getting attacked or if Google itself were attacked and multiple data centers or wherever you're storing your data, um, you know, just because the way you've been storing your data for the last 15 years, you know, worked without uh, uh, any flaws doesn't mean that you'll always have access to that data. So what if the government is so fundamental? I didn't even Google, think about shut down. it. Yeah. What if tomorrow it says Google, you're done? Right? Yeah, because the government can do that. Well, there's the antitrust movements that uh, I know that there are a lot of uh, politicians that in in running uh, their whole idea was we're going to break up the tech industry. 
which is insane because it's pretty much the most wealth generating thing that's happened in the past decade. They're like, we want to, we want to crush the most successful thing left in America. Uh, but, um, you know, the path to the road to hell is paved on good intentions. So there's all these well-intentioned ideas that are net net destructive and harmful to society. And, um, gosh, you're, you're really like getting the juices flowing, the wheels turning in my head because I haven't even thought about that time capsule concept. I don't have that really, you know, right legacy. now. Um, well, the legacy and just the, the information, mm. right? Like, so. Well, now that you're thinking about it, you probably have one like in like three days, the way you guys take action and move <laughs> forward on stuff, right? And yeah. That's a, like, Point Dexter, give me a time capsule. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no, I, yeah. No, it's I'm too funny. But, but uh, uh, well, but I, I know we're almost out of time here. Um, I just, uh, how, you know, maybe put a little bow on it and, and wrap it up just conceptually, introducing people to this idea of this plan B, whether somebody goes out and, and pursues that uh, on their own, completely separate from your project, or, or whether someone might be like, you know, learning more about your project uh, for themselves. You know, when a, when a man gets married, right? He, his bride has, has a veil on, right? And, and the thing that he's waited for for so long, you know, he gets to see when the veil is lifted, right? And, and I think in our life, in our society, in our world, I think there's, there's a veil that is kept on reality. And, and the reality is, is what's truly going on behind the scenes, you know? And the fact that if you wait for behind that veil for the rest of your life, no, never know what the truth is. And, and you've got to begin taking actions. You've got to begin moving. You have to make decisions, right, that, that enabled you to get behind that veil, behind that curtain. Because there is a, a crazy world that exists, right? Um, Kevin Hart, I was watching, listening to him, and he was talking about, he was at a, a gathering, and Jeff Bezos was there, and he said, he started saying his name. He's like, Jeff, Jeff, right? He goes, I want to talk to you. And, and earlier, his friend had told him, Kevin, like, you're crazy. Like, you don't want to be a, a needy person, right? You don't want to be the person that goes up and trades because nobody at this gathering is needy. And Kevin says, well, you go ahead and stay here. I'm going to go find out, right, what I need to find out from Jeff because Jeff knows things behind the things behind the things that the rest of us don't know. And there became a point in my life when I started wanting to uncover what is behind that veil, what is behind that, that curtain. And, and it started first and foremost for me with wealth because I wanted to understand Wealth. I want to understand why my parents had wealth and lost it. Had wealth and lost it. I want to understand what were the the forces, right, that held held them held held them back. And then it started to go further. Is is there when we opened our first Regulation D fund, only allowed to have thirty non accredited investors, right? Thirty five non accredited investors. And I looked at that and I said, really, the government's saying, look, here's the vehicle how you could invest your make money and make a really a great high return. Where we're going to limit it to only to the wealthy people. And then I began the philosophy to, to get to our REIT and our, 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 our investment fund so that we could bring in and allow people, no matter what their financial situation is, to come in and invest with us. And then the world began to change and began to shift. And I started saying, look, what is the truth behind all of these conspiracy theories? Are they real or are some of them real? I think all conspiracy theories are rooted in a certain amount of truth, a certain level of truth. But how long can they be rooted in a certain amount of truth before they start to become reality? And so right now, if you're not making decisions with your investments, making decisions with your money, and we haven't even talked about inflation today. I mean, there, there's coming an inflation that, that we've never seen in our lifetimes. The only thing you can akin to if you study Germany in, after World War I, what the inflation was. And if you study that, then you know how inflation can really hit a country. And I'm sure there's other places to study it too, but there's an inflation coming. And so if your money's sitting under a mattress, it's going to lose 20, 30, 40% value in the next five years. That's how quickly things are, things are changing. You know, we talk about cryptocurrency, which I know you guys know, but the reality is the value of the dollar is shifting, changing forever. So the reality is like, I know we're going to continue this, this journey together. And you know, the next steps are critical. The decisions you make, the thoughts you make right now and in, in these moments of your lifetime are going to determine the livelihood of you and your families. And We've got to make multiple decisions. You've got to make a decision based on everything being good. You have to make a decision on everything being normal. But you also have to face the reality that everything might hit the fan and it might be terrible. And, and, and so you have to know what your plan is 
in each of those scenarios. And it, not just with, with survival, but also with your finances and your money and your wealth. Because there will always be exchange. There will always be currency. No matter what happens, there's always going to be an exchange. And, and so reality is, is the people that, that understand these core philosophies behind the veil, behind the curtain, will, will be making decisions while other people are having decisions made for them. And if you're allowing all the decisions to be made for you, I know when you get to the other side, you're not going to be happy. You've got to make those decisions for yourself. So I don't know if that's what you wanted. That's just, that that was awesome, it, man. I'm just feeling it right now, man. Yeah, so, no, I'm feeling it too. It, there's, a, there's, I think it was a Bruce Lee quote. Don't wish for an easy life, wish for the power to overcome the obstacles as they come. And it's as simple uh, of a mental exercise as you could ever want to do, but critically important of just best medium and worst case scenario with anything. That's how I look at an investment. That's how I look at a business opportunity. And that's how we should look at our society too, uh, with regards to, you know, surviving and thriving in a best medium or worst case scenario. You got to have plans for all of them. So um, I, I really love seeing what you guys are doing here with the survival project. Uh, and of, of course, your core business of helping people invest in a tax auction uh, is uh really exciting as well. I know we have a lot of uh, people that listen that are very interested in that or maybe already doing that, maybe looking to take it to the next level. So uh, Dutch, thanks for your time today and uh, thanks for joining us. All right. Big hugs, you guys. We'll talk to you soon. All right. That was um, awesome. I really, really enjoyed that, uh, that podcast episode with Dutch. I haven't done any tax auction investing, but I've always found the concept fascinating. I remember I read a book about it like 20 years ago or something like that, and I've just never done it. So that was really cool. And then the survival project. Yeah, it's something that I think that people really are more open to now. I think people are learning more about how they can take their own survival and their own plan be in their own hands. And it's it's a really important topic to discuss. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, check the resource links in the episode notes for this one. And if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a five-star rating in the Apple Podcast app or the Google Podcast app. If you have any questions, then you can submit them. You can even like record an audio question at selfdirectedlife.com. Uh, thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe. Have a great day. See you next time.